Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie Good afternoon and you're very welcome along to The Late Lunch with me, Alison O'Reilly, here on LMFM in this scorching heat. Delighted if you're joining us, delighted to have you. And uh, I'd love to hear from you because I'm here until half past three today. So anything that you want to share with us or raise with us, please do get in touch. You can email the station at info at lmfm.ie. Or you can text us on 086 1800 658. That's 086 1800 658. Now, coming up on today's show, one woman who was a key player in the expose of the story of the Tomb Babies burial scandal, which emerged in 2014, has vowed to fight on until she finds her two missing brothers who were believed to have died in the home. And also in this scorching heat of no doubt, you'll have cranky partners, cranky dogs, but cranky children. What do we do with them and how do we manage them? Because we're also roasting ourselves in this scorcher. So we'll have one child psychologist on who may be able to give us a hand on that. Um, But also, this is a subject very close to my heart, water safety. Despite all the signs, the warnings and all the advice that's out there, people are still using extravagant inflatables on the water and being generally reckless. Now, we know it's a small minority, but the sea is one of the most beautiful things on this planet. But you have to remember, it's also the most dangerous thing that you could ever come across is the sea. So we'll be speaking about water safety and the importance of that. Um, TD Padder Tobin will be here to tell us about how his brother identified how he had skin cancer. And remember, skin cancer is one of the most common cancers in Ireland. And uh, of course, if you're a Britney, Britney Spears fan, Louise, are you a Britney Spears fan? <laughs> I loved her. I absolutely loved her. I did like her, yeah. Yeah, she was absolutely gorgeous. Wanted to be like her. Yes, I think we all did. And she's so lovely and she's remained so beautiful. But she's at the heart of a major scandal in the US at the moment. It's awful, isn't it? It is terrible. Yeah. yeah if her, it was a man, I wonder would it be the same? Exactly. I've never heard of something like this before. The conservatorship where her father is basically controlling everything about her and all her finances and all her millions because she had a very public mental health issue a number of years ago. That remains in situ and we're going to be speaking to one Irish documentary maker who is uh, looking at Irish Britney fans here. So uh, stay tuned for that. That's coming up on the show. But first, in 2012, Anna Corrigan, who spent her entire life believing she was an only child, was devastated to learn when she was a grandmother herself now, she was a grandmother. She believed she was the only child of Bridget Dolan and William Dolan. But then she discovered her mother had two baby boys in the tomb, mother and baby home before she met Anna's father. Now, Anna highlighted the story in the media in 2014, along with Catherine Corliss and Galway, who uncovered the names of the children. And that story, as we know, made international headlines. It led to a commission of inquiry into mother and baby homes. That... Commission of Inquiry concluded this year, but the fact remains that 9,000 babies, including the 796 children who died in Tume, still remain in unidentified graves all across the country. Now, Anna Corrigan is on the line to tell us more. Anna, how are you? 
Hi, Alison. I'm just hot day. How are you keeping in there? <laughs> good, good. I know it's a scorcher and we're delighted to have you, Anna, because this is a very important story. Um, take us back to the day you were standing in the kitchen when Bernardo's, who were researching your family's history, just out of interest, you wanted to find out about your, your dad's past and your mom's past. And they told you you had two brothers that you never knew about. That was uh, impossible. What's that now? Nine years? No, almost nine years ago. No, it was eight and a half years, coming up on nine years. Uh, yeah, I was standing in the kitchen and I had started um, some tracing around my father in Bernardo's. And then I had some inkling about my mother and I asked the lady, would she do some research? And she duly did. So she rang me in December and it was coming up to Christmas. And she said, Anna, I have some information for you. Um, she said, I'll give it to you in January uh, she said we're closing for the Christmas and I knew there was something wrong when she rang so um, I kind of please can't wait you know so she said well it's not proper that I give it to you over the phone I said look I'm a grown woman so eventually she broke protocol and she told me while I'm standing I'm sitting here looking out the corner of my kitchen she said to me Anna you have two brothers and as you can imagine uh, oh, it's taking me back now, sorry, and getting shivers up my spine. Um, it was, the, the ground was pulled under from under my feet. Mm. Um, I mean, how do you cope with something like that? You know, believing that you're an only child and then being told that you have two brothers, but knowing nothing else other than that. And the lady very kindly had told me, but again, I had to wait till January to go in to get the paperwork to find out more about who they were, what, the, what had happened to them, you know, so it, it kind of left me in a very strange bit. So I cried. I rang my daughters. I told them and um, sat down and had a large mug of tea and tried to come to terms. So I had to live with it over the Christmas till I went in in January. But I was glad in hindsight she told me because mm. something sometimes like, you know, in anticipation is actually worse than actually knowing, knowing something, you know, so... I know. And, it, you know, growing up all your life thinking you're an only child and, you know, living with the woman who carried this suffering and this secret um, and that you were never, ever told. I mean, you can only conclude that your mother did that to protect you and not to project any of that hurt onto you. But when there are family secrets like that, uh, it probably does make sense now that your mo- mother, Bridget Dolan, has passed. It probably makes sense now that, oh, maybe that's why this happened and maybe that's why that happened. You're left with more questions. Well, I've started to re-examine my whole life and I've tried to, you know, review my mother in in in, in the pers- in, 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 in a <laughs> periscope. Like, how do you actually look back in the past? I'm trying to reanalyze my mother, right? Who was she? What was she carrying? What pain and hurt did I not know about as a child? Because when you're a child, you're kind of totally centred on yourself. Um, again, as you said, Alison, probably to protect me. But also, you must remember, like, these women who enter these homes, and now I know it's, it wasn't just to protect me. It's the fear and the shame that went with it because they had suffered quite a deal and um, you know to, to come out of these places they were told like keep your head down don't tell anyone your business you know you've committed a martyr sin twice and um, just you know go ahead and then to be left carrying this I mean I, I often thought on John's birthday and William's birthday I mean how did she feel how did she feel when she had me I mean it, this was explored in, in the book I mean the 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 cathartic exercise started for me and when we walked in the book, my name is Bridget, you know, which you kindly, you know, wrote for me. Um, and I mean, I had to start an exploration of who I was, but not alone that dealing with who I was, but dealing with what was not happening outside in relation to all of the children in the graves. But um, yeah, it was it, it was very strange. And I often wonder, as we said in the book, like um, when she held me, I mean, how did she feel? Like, she had two living babies. I mean, it's traumatic enough to have a miscarriage or to have a stillborn child. But to have children that that you can't be part of their lives, that you you know you have to leave them, that um, 
I can't even imagine. I really, really, I'm, I'm still trying to come to terms with it. Mm, I mean, and as I said, the really book suffered. was is, is, is a great starter for me because it did open and I had to go to places inside myself um, to actually dig deep. But I'm, I'm, it's, a, it's a work in progress. I mean, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still going through this myself and then every day there's something new coming up and nothing is happening. So it, it's, it's quite strange. You've got the public aspect to it where I put on my armour and I go out and fight like a Trojan but then I got the times when I sit at home on my own and wonder and cry I mean that's not for public arena you know what I mean but Mm. it it can be quite devastating and heartfelt you know so and it's something you can only do but on your own you can speak to family about it but it's still something you have to take into they don't know what a relationship you know you had with your mother when you were a child they knew them as their granny and as their auntie and this but it was solely me and her and my father you know yeah they were yeah. a very small unit You've done amazing work in trying to um, get information on your two brothers John Desmond and William Joseph um, Anna tell us what you've uncovered about the two boys Well when I went in January 2013 to Bernardo's they gave me uh, the beautiful social worker there gave me what she got from, uh, which is it was the HSE Child and Family Services before they switched over to the terrible TUSVA, as I call it. Um, that, that's, that's for another day, another programme. <laughs> but, um, so, there was no death cert from my brother, William, and she contacted the social worker back in the HSC in Child and Family Services, and it appears then that William hadn't been registered as dead. And, I mean, the young girl <laughs> decided that she was going to do a late registration. And the social worker, who was um, coming near retirement and very knowledgeable, said, I don't think that would be possible. And she actually said, this is all very strange. So, obviously, from her years working in there, which has come to the fore now because um, Fergus Finley had done the interview with herself, which I read in the paper, about stating that death sales were falsified and, you know, all this stuff that was going on that we now know about. And, uh, yeah, so uh, William had no death certificate and then John had actually died of the measles and he was marked a congenital idiot. And, I mean, that in itself is quite devastating news, you know, to start with. That's so, a shocking, it's a shocking way to identify any child on their death cert oh, as a congenital idiot. It's just appalling. I mean, Congenital idiot, but I mean, I've heard since, like, when the Duplessis orphans in Canada, I mean, when they rebranded the mother and baby home as a mental home, all the children were diagnosed with congenital idiots. So, obviously, it ties up with something, you know, really sinister. So, but then, I mean, that was only the start of it. I mean, that, that was what it was supposed to take, and that's all the lady got, and I was supposed to go away. But then I really started my search because, but I walked into something that I knew nothing about. And it's such a mire. And over the years that I've been involved in this, I mean, my goodness, the amount of subdiffusion, and intrigue and obfuscation and obstruction and you name it, just trying to guess. And I, I was kind of lucky in the timing because 2013, I did get some paperwork and I got paperwork on the inspection report in the home in Tume and... For the reason that John was marked on it, he was the only child's name unredacted. I received the paperwork and to see the conditions of some of those children. Oh, my goodness. And then John, because, as I say, he was unredacted, that's how I received the paperwork, stated that he was a miserable, emaciated child with a voracious appetite and no control over bodily functions. So that's at 13 years of age. And nobody thought to bat an eyelid or to think that this might be wrong. Like, emaciated, you're starved. Voracious appetite, you're not being fed. Two, two words you don't juxtapose to each other. And unfortunately, these babies were considered illegitimate. The word is illegitimate. So therefore, oh, they weren't... That's only a minor word on it, Alison. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah. Bastard, spawn of the devil, you name it. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. illegitimate is something illegal term, but I mean, what was applied to them was 
much more horrendous. But they were you know? treated like subhumans. It was, it, subhumans. It was shocking. The, the language around the description of the children in these institutions, I don't like calling them homes, they weren't homes, um, mm. is just appalling. But Anna, we're going to take a break. So if you'd stay with us, we'd love to come back to you after the break. We're speaking okay. to Anna Corrigan, who is the daughter of Bridget Dolan. And Bridget had two babies in the two mother and baby home and she was a key figure in exposing the story which rippled around the world. And we now know that there are 9,000 children lying in unmarked graves around Ireland who are still not found, not exhumed. And I'm not sure of any babies being handed back to their family. But we're speaking about one of the darkest chapters in Irish history and how we treated women and children in this country. And it affected every corner of Ireland. And don't think it didn't. Your neighbours, your friends, family members, there's somebody in your family or wider circle of friends who has been affected by this story. And Anna Corrigan is on the line because her mother was in the two mother and baby home. And Anna is the youngest of three children, but spent her whole life believing she was an only child until she did Trojan work and found out that her mother had two secret children. Anna, I mean, the story made international headlines. It made the government sit up and face a story that they were already aware of. Um, For the first time ever, we had names for these children, for the children in Toome. And, of course, there's mother and baby homes and institutions all over Ireland. Um, We hoped when the children were identified in that grave and DNA evidence showed that they were the children from the two mother and baby home, that an excavation would happen and that you would get your brothers back. But that hasn't happened. Well, Alison, I I went to the police in 2013 about my brother William because he doesn't have a death cert. And I'd heard through the family that there was a baby illegally adopted because, like you know, the, the rumour machine went into overdrive mm-hmm. and uh, people did know stuff, but I didn't know anything. So um, I went to the police and he's a missing person since 2013. And then I went in 2014 after I brought the story to yourself about my mother and the work of Catherine Corliss. And yeah, I mean, I have to say, I mean, what what you done was unbelievable. I mean, the story was run in Ireland, but it got no it got no take up in Ireland because Ireland didn't want to know. And then you ran the story, my father, the following week, and nobody wants to know because the elections was going on. But when it hit the Mail Online, then it grabbed international, worldwide attention. And I mean, that's when the government started to squirm and started to feel they had to do something because they we'd had the case of the industrial homes and at Magdalene Homes. And justice was meted out. In hindsight, I know an awful lot now, but I didn't know then. Mm. But justice was meted out Irish style. But you think about, when you think about the graves in Tume, I mean, we had a similar issue in High Park in the, the laundry. Mm-hmm. I mean, how did they deal with that mass grave? They gave an exhumation licence to the builders and the nuns who cremated the, the women. Some of them, 23 of them, I think, unidentified. And that was the end of that. But I'm sorry, it's not the end of it because now with Tume 796 following Catherine's research and then now it's 9,000 and that's only a select number of homes. That's not even all the homes in Ireland. Exactly. And it is, it is, it's important, Anna, to say that Tume is a little bit different because these children are in a sewage tank. They're not in consecrated ground. And, you know, here in Drogheda, I, you know, I grew up in Drogheda and I would have went to these blessings of the graves for years. People take a huge interest in looking after and maintaining their family graves. Yet we've 796 children supposedly buried. Well, we know that there's a significant number, but we don't actually have a final number because no excavation has happened. And we've little innocent children lying in a sewage tank. And you have to live with that every day, knowing that your brothers may or may not be there based on whether they were illegally adopted and falsified certs and all this scandal that goes on in the underbelly of this horrible world. And and not alone me, Alison, following this, I set up the Tune Babies family group. And I mean, we now have people with a a total of our 12 family members in this floating around, let's call it floating around in, in, in a septic tank. And I mean, they did go in and do a partial excavation, exhumation, carbon dating. And I mean, the recommendation from Neve McCullough, who headed that expert group, said that was 2070. This has to be started in the next six months, because now we've allowed air and gas in on top of this, which is where they're going to degrade the uh, bodies. 
And look at this now, July 2021. Mm. And still we wait. Yeah, I mean, um, we have a texter in here saying, Alison, what a harrowing legacy for Ireland treating our women and children in such a cruel, senseless and unforgiving way. I mean, that's, you know, that's exactly what it was. We treated these women like they were murderers. It was actually worse than murder to be pregnant outside of marriage. You, you wonder, like, who came up with that idea? Because it wasn't just a few bad apples in Ireland where the priests and nuns were just maybe just bad in Ireland. We've looked at the Rosebud Sioux in America, the children now in the unmarked graves in Canada, the Native Americans being taken away to boarding schools in order to try and get rid of that whole um, tribe. I mean, it's, it's, it was all across the world, Anna, you know. I mean, but like we've got to link up what happened here in Ireland first, um, because we haven't looked at the graves in the industrial homes. So if you add them into the mix, the graves in the in the Magdalen homes, we haven't looked into those. The nine thousand that have been identified by the commission, that doesn't include stillborn babies, right? Because it would be the only ones that would be listed with death certificates. Because we know a woman who actually had a stillborn wouldn't have a, a death certificate, so that child was possibly in there, and mm-hmm. how many more? And then we've got to multiply this by the number of homes that were actually in Ireland, mother and baby homes. And then we've also got to look at the women that were transferred as well to the mental home and how many of them died in there. Mm. So, I mean, exponentially, this is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, as you said about the American and Canadian, that's only one part of it as well. So you add this to a worldwide picture, then you take it outside Ireland. This machine was huge. Mm. I've just got stuff in this morning about genocide in Canada. And somebody was already on this in 2010. So um, I was just talking about the number of deaths, up to 50% deaths in some of these homes. Then you've got the USA, you've got Australia, you've got, uh, you name it. I mean, we haven't even touched on this yet. You know, the, the full extent of the cruelty that was perpetrated. I do believe, because it was strange, I spoke to a lady from Canada. And I mean, the women over there who were unmarried had to stay for one year. And the women in Ireland had to stay for one year in the homes. Now, I mean, that's not a random policy. There's 4,000 miles mm, between yeah. Canada and Ireland. Yeah. So somebody is giving instructions from the top. Oh, absolutely. You know, like your mother would have done two years in there. But just finally, Anna, where are you now? What? Where do you go from here with such a vast scandal to continue trying to unfold, to try and find your two brothers and, and all the other children? I mean, I've been... the police have failed to act because they said they're waiting on the commission and I don't know why because I'm not dealing with the Well, the commission's over now, so... Yeah, yeah. So that's that. And then we have the bill sitting in the doll at the moment and mm. the doll has gone into recess for the summer. Uh, and I, why they needed... I mean, why they needed a bill for Tume is beyond me because they've already exhumed the next... But then they covered her up and put grass seed back on it and left those babies there despite the instructions from the archaeologists that this would have to go ahead in 2017. So we fight on, Anna. We fight and on. We fight on. But, I mean, you look at places like Castle Pollard, Shamros, and, I mean, I'm, I'm watching all these groups, and, I mean, I see Shamros, I mean, and there is an offer from some lady called uh, Rachel, yeah, who wants to actually go in and privately do, yeah. which the government is not going to do. No, no. And, I mean, you've done it in 2014, you... you kind of asked the newspaper would they support it and it was done soon after the, the whole thing was published Yeah, and then they just totally ignored that and then they wait for 2016 themselves to go in and do it so I mean I don't know what exactly you know, yeah. Shamrock yeah. would be expecting do you understand what I mean? I do, I do. is not going to do anything because this bill that's as it stands at the moment. Well, do you know what, you Anna? Know, We're actually running out of time, but I'm going to get you... I, no, no, it's a, such a huge I, story. Once, I want to get well. No, thank you. Look, thank you for sharing. But look, we'll get you on again, Anna, and keep well, up and the I fight. do, I do believe there's, there's another book. Like, my name is Bridget. I mean, I could write... There could be two more books written on what's happened since that book has been published. Absolutely. Um, I mean, of the whole background. And we stand with Canada. And oh, okay. we stand with everybody. And we stand with every other home here in Ireland. And even those that haven't been discovered as yet. Okay, Anna. Well, thanks very much for joining us here on The Late Lunch. That's Anna Corrigan there uh, who helped unfold the Tume Babies scandal. We'll take a break and then we'll head to news.
Welcome back to The Late Lunch with me, Alison O'Reilly. And I'd love to hear from you. I'm here until half past three. You can text me on 086-1800-658 or you can email the station on info at lmfm.ie. Don't forget, a little bit later on, we'll be speaking about Britney Spears' Irish fans. So that'll be an interesting one to uh, stay tuned for. Now, it's boiling outside and this could have a dreadful effect on your children. Um, we're, we're constantly hearing about hats, sunscreen, water and keeping children and pets in on the peak times of this heat. But what about a child's temperament? Are you suffering with a child who's really cranky at the moment? And understandably so. Well, Dr. Mary O'Kane is a lecturer in child psychology and she's the author of Perfectly Imperfect Parenting. She's also from Navin. Dr. O'Kane, you're very welcome to The Late Lunch. How are you? Hi, Alison. Lovely to talk to you. I'm sitting here sweltering. (laughs) (laughs) I know we're the same. I mean, it's absolutely roasting. I was coming down in the car today from Dublin and I was going, oh, my God, of all like the air conditioning on in the car and the whole lot. Blessed to have it, says you. But uh, I suppose we're we're hearing so much about, you know, how to be sun smart and safe. But also it does really affect your mood and then your baby's mood on top of that. It's very difficult. Oh, absolutely, Alison. And it's funny, um, I know we were talking about hydration and sunscreen and whatever, but oh my gosh, this is really important. And so many parents are saying at the moment, their children are, they're getting that ratty in the heat. Mm. But funny, the first thing I say to them is think about the hydration. On Our children don't sweat as much as adults and they are much more likely to risk of heat stroke. So to make sure you're, the water, getting the water into them. And often parents say, oh, but my child doesn't want to drink the water. You know, if you chop up even strawberries and raspberries, mm. pop it in at their favourite bottle with a load of ice and you'll get them drinking and drinking. It makes such a difference. And even, we want them out. I mean, we want them out in the lovely weather. But again, try and think about the shade. Even if you get your, your child and say, come on, and we'll get an old sheet here and we'll stretch it between fences in the back garden or across with trees. We're going to make you a den here. I mean, pop the paddling pool in under that shaded spot. Um, they can be out there and they can be having fun, mm. but you're just sort of aware of the safety. It's awful that we have to think about the safety, but it really impacts on the mood as well. And I mean, the sunscreen, I know the minimum factor 30 Pack it on them. Try and put it on them inside. Do you know, a tip I have for parents, the other way parents say, oh, they, they hate having the sunscreen put on. <laughs> do a join the dots and do dot, dot, dot of sunscreen all over them. Okay, you join the dots to see if you can cover it up everywhere or put it in the fridge so it's really cold. Now, you know that feeling when you get the, the yes. cold sunscreen yes. on your back. But honestly, if you, if you try and really protect them against the sunburn, even just if they get a little bit of prickly heat or sunburn, oh, they just get so ratty. So if we can think ahead, no, I'm going to absolutely pack it onto them, do the join the dots trick. And you're not only protecting them physically, but their, their mood is so much better when they can actually, you know, putter, putter, putter around and enjoy it. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't think of that. That's actually like a little fun thing to do, isn't it? Join the dots and get them involved. Yep, that's it, exactly. Even the, and I know, again, parents would say to me, oh, it's the hat. How do I keep the hat on the head? You know, they keep pulling the hat off. And I, I know. But, you know, again, it's, it's really important that we do it. And the sunglasses, too. Often in Ireland, we forget the sunglasses. Mm-hmm. They're so good at that abroad. But again, you're just thinking of all these things to protect them. And then they can have that, that bit of fun, you know, when they're out there and enjoy the sunshine. Yeah. Yeah, and you see, the paddling pool is a lifesaver, isn't it? Big time. Because, I mean, if you get them in there and they're distracted with the water, then they kind of forget about the hat and the glasses. Yeah, oh, I know. You need them on the head or you need them under the shade. Yeah. But you know, funny, Alison, again, you know, it's a little stuff, isn't it? Mm. Like the paddling pool. Do you know what parents sometimes don't think of and the kids often love when they're outside is a sand pit. Get the sand pit outside. Even chuck on the pavement. Mm. So just because you don't really jumping the legs off themselves on the trampoline in this heat. Yeah. You're better off trying to think of you know, just those everyday little slow activities. Do you know what a lovely one is? Go on, go on. Fill a tub with water and put small toys into them and freeze them. So you have this frozen, like an ice block. And then get them to excavate their toys out of it. So there they are. Oh. And whatever. And again, it's just, it's 
just little stuff. To find, to yeah. Sometimes I think, trying to think of always big stuff. But if you just let them out in the garden, yes, if they get bored, let them tootle around, bring their toys out there, potter around. Um, we don't always have to be you know, playing stuff with them, interfering. Just let them find their own. You know, as we did when we were kids, mm. get bored, and next thing you can play, the grass is lava or something, and you're all you know enjoying it. And yeah, they are when they oh, if they do overheat, things like um, getting them to chill face cloths in the fridge. So you put it in cool water, wrap it up in a tub in the fridge. So they come in, and it's like they can pretend they're in a spa, okay. having the washcloth on them, or or with the fan. A great trip if they if they come in and they they're overheating and they come in and you say, okay, we'll put the fan on. Mm. Put a, one or two bottles of ice cold water in front of the fan. And it cools the air in the room really quickly. Um, so they cool down nice and quickly, which is lovely. And I mean, don't be afraid of letting them come in and just veg sometimes in front of that TV for a little while too. Mm. You know, particularly between about 11 and 3. I mean, it is. I mean, the moment out there, it is scorching. Now mm. it really is. So don't worry about them just coming in and ah, relaxing yeah. and having a little bit of downtime Relief. too. And they're yeah. starving yeah. as well. They're extra hungry, aren't they? Oh, I'm telling you, they are. And I mean, just just keep the hydration. And for the babies, though, as well, mm. if you're breastfeeding a baby, you might find the baby normally in this heat, the baby, they don't need water, but they will feed more than often. Yeah. And if you're bottle feeding, as well as the usual milk feeds, you can give them a little cooled water, boiled cooled water, if you feel that they need it as well. But, you know, actually, just something I must say, Alison, which we, we need to remember for the little ones, mm-hmm. and it's just a little word of warning, two things the buggies and the cars. For the little ones and the buggies, sometimes we cover them up. We cover up the over the canopy, if you like, of the buggy and we put a blanket. Yeah. Be really careful. It really restricts their airflow and they can overheat in a buggy. You're better off to keep them right out of the sun rather than just covering them up with a blanket. So even and with the, the little kind of nets, you know the way they're sort of... they the say net oh. isn't too bad, but okay. I, I know sometimes you, you get mums and they just throw the blanket over oh God. the canopy if you know what I mean yes yeah be really careful of that one guys okay. and if when they're older not be really careful of leaving them in the car and we sometimes think oh but I've rolled the window down oh no for a few minutes or do, really don't do it you know a parked car can heat up by about mm. 10 degrees in 10 minutes oh listen and it and it, it infuriates me it infuriates me that people do that and with pets oh, look, just don't oh, even bother no. with the dogs and cats oh and no and leaving a little bit of window open people think it helps oh, it helps no oh way. no it, it it's really a sun does. trap oh absolutely Absolutely. And you think, oh, I'm only nipping in here for five, ten minutes. No. That car is overheating and you get mm. delayed. And it's just not worth no. the risk. I no, sound no. like a, a granny here. but Not honestly, at all. No, really, because it did really happen. Really it did happen. And we all read that terrible story about a child that overheated in a car and passed away. It's just, oh. you're just taking your life into your own hands, your child's life when you do something like that. And the same with pets. I can't emphasise it enough. Mary, just one more question I wanted to ask you. Um, parents or guardians or family member whoever's in charge of the children it's exhausting for them too so what do you say to the exhausted parents who are trying to manage the cranky child as well have you any hope for them too I know I know but you know what and we need to be kind to ourselves and we look out the window and we think oh my gosh it's beautiful and you think oh we should be absolutely happy families you know what your kids are going to get (laughs) ratty they are and you will get ratty too so this this is the whole idea of being perfectly imperfect. Give yourself a bit of grace. Yeah. You know, don't look at the girl down the road and think, oh, look at her and a happy family and we're struggling here. No, everybody struggles. And in the heat, we all get a little bit ratty. Do you know what? If you get set up and you're thinking, oh, I've had enough, even something like making homemade ice pops with them, puddle mm. of rose fruit, and just sit and relax them. Sit with your feet in the paddling pool yourself. Yeah. And just give yourself a bit of grace, you know. Lovely. Concentrate on the little things. Forget this Instagram perfect. Oh yeah. Oh God, no. To have no, 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 no. We're all sweaty Betty's at the moment. Yeah. With your feet in the paddling pool. <laughs> relax with the kids and just think. You know what? We can do very little. Just relax and enjoy it. Exactly. I fully agree with you, Dr. Mary O'Kane. I'm delighted to talk to you. That's wonderful advice and simple advice as well. You're a lecturer in child psychology and the author of A Perfectly Imperfect Parenting. Parenting. <laughs> I can't say it. Uh, thank you so much for joining. 
joining us here on The Late Lunch. No problem, Alison. <laughs> now, we're going to take a break and coming up after the break, we're going to stay with water safety and remember how important it is to be safe at the seaside. Uh, we'll be back after this. Welcome back to The Late Lunch with me, Alison O'Reilly. I'd love to hear from you. I'm here until half past three. You can text me on 86 658 Now, it's that time of year where the minute you see the sun, you want to jump straight into the sea or to pools or lakes or anything that's going. And that brings a lot of reckless people out and reckless behaviour. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter what the advice is out there. People are still blowing up big, huge inflatables, jumping into unknown waters and even drinking drinking booze beside the sea, which just has a terrible effect altogether. But uh, to tell us more about the dangers of the sea, which is one of the most beautiful things on the planet, but of course the most dangerous as well, is the CEO of Irish Water Safety, John Leach. John, how are you? Uh, very well, thanks, Alison. And lovely to be on there with you and your listeners and to afford us the opportunity of just getting out some uh, good safety messages and just building awareness of uh, water safety. Yeah, it does. It, it, it brings out, unfortunately, it brings out a lot of bad behaviour by people who just don't mean any harm, but can cause a lot of harm. That is true. And I mean, last year we lost 76 people to drowning. Uh, the year before we lost 105. Uh, so we are heading in the right direction, but we have a long way to go. We shouldn't be losing these people. And, and, and unfortunately, it's um, by the use of like inflatables, the alcohol that you mentioned uh, near water, they're the contributing factors to the, the mortalities that we have as a result of drowning. So it's really good to get a chance to highlight them. So our main advice really is for people to swim at the lifeguarded uh, beaches, mm. you know, Bettystown, Templetown, Port, Clarehead, uh, where they can. Now, obviously, those beaches are very, very busy at the moment, and some people want to go swim in, in other areas. Um, uh, so if you do use local knowledge, make sure there's no uh, rip current, for instance, on the beaches. Uh, or indeed people are swimming in rivers and lakes, only swim at a, at a at what we'd refer to as a traditional bathing area that has been known to be for decades, and that has got a shallow shelving uh, river bank or shore, uh, and that you can swim within your depth and stay within your depth. That's what's crucial, because all the research we've done on, uh, on bathing and swimming, uh, you know, mortalities over the years, indicates that it's the cold shock that normally uh, overcomes people by jumping into deep water and then uh, the, the cold shock overcoming them and then unfortunately they're drowning. And that's so the that, other that's thing That's the other thing as well, John, getting into unknown waters. I mean, you could jump in there and just break your neck. You could land on a rock and you don't know. Yeah, and regrettably that has happened to people over the years and they end up as paraplegics for life. Uh, some people refer to it as tombstoning, you know, where people will deliberately jump off uh, heights uh, like bridges or mm. that sort of thing. Uh, buildings that are adjacent to the water and unfortunately yeah they end up in the wheelchair for the rest of their lives so uh, really don't do it don't no do it's 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 extraordinarily dangerous and yeah. i mean it's 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 just such simple things because you'll always get the know-it-alls who say sure i'm not afraid of the water no, you're dead right and they tend to be males who who, who, can, who uh, constitute 80 percent of all the drownings we have each year so that's a very good point that you're making uh and it, it, I, mean, the, I mean, the water temperature at the moment is, is lovely at the moment. Uh, obviously, you know, it's really, really uh, increased. And in the inland waterways, particularly, it's very warm, like in the 20s. Uh, some people are describing it as being tropical because it really is. It's terribly at the warm. Mm. And so it's very inviting to go in to cool down. But again, it just, it's the whole thing of, you know, don't go out of your depth if, if you're a casual swimmer. And indeed, if you are going out of your depth, then really you should be using a tow float so that if you do get into difficulty, you can hold on to your tow float until your, your, your cramp passes or your feeling of dizziness or sickness passes. Um, but but, but I, uh, the other thing I would say also then is just, uh, at those traditional bathing years, make sure that there's a yellow box and a ring boy so that you can help effect a rescue if somebody, one of your mates, your friends gets into trouble. Yeah, and don't go in after them, John. N- no, well done, Alison, spot on. Don't ever go in after them. Um, I mean, you call 112, ask for the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard will have a helicopter or a lifeboat over your head, literally in 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, I mean, we've got a world-class Coast Guard that will, will, will look, at, look after people who are in distress, but they'll always say... We might have lost John there. But, you know, he's he's really come up with really good advice there because I, I come from a family who are very involved in water safety. My sister Jean is a swimming teacher. My mother's been teaching swimming all her life, particularly younger children. 
and uh, we were all involved in Irish Water Safety here in Drogheda. They had a phenomenal team of people. I remember them all. Um, and, uh, you know, Johnny McGuinness, brilliant swimmer. Adrian McGuinness, Bernie McGuinness, the late Bernie. She was brilliant, brilliant swimmer. Um, John Harmon, all of these people uh, were absolutely phenomenal in uh, teaching water safety here. But John, we got you back. You're there. You haven't, Dave. You haven't there. <laughs> Not at all. Actually. These things happen, modern technology. But John, yeah. you know, despite all of the issues there with water, you'll still see people arriving with this monstrosity of an inflatable. And uh, again saying, sure, you know, a bit of crack. I'm watching them. Sure, I can see them from here. I'll be straight in after them. It's my child. But people don't realise that you can just be swept away so quickly in these big, massive dolphin type, all sorts of massive inflatables. You're spot on there. And unfortunately, we had two fatalities last year as a result, but we also had the highest number of shouts, that's call-outs to, to the Coast Guard, you know, to their own ally and the Coast Guard to go and rescue people who got into trouble in inflatables. So they really are not suitable in our temperate climate where, you know, the wind uh, wind direction and strength change so quickly and where we have what are known as semi-diurnal t- tides, you know, that we've, ver- we've got amongst the strongest tides in the, in the world. So if the wind doesn't take you out, which it normally will, the tide certainly will. Uh, they're fine on the continent, they're fine on the Baltic where the winds are onshore and where they have diurnal tides, whereas they have tiny tides, they're almost negligible. And, and so they're safe there, and that's why people get used to using them when they're, when they're on the foreign holidays, think they can use them here at home. Don't use them. Uh, Clare County Council, Waterford County Council have already, have already brought in legislation and bylaws to ban them Good. from the beaches. Uh, because that's how dangerous they are. Mm. They, they, uh, some people refer to them as the floating killers. Oh, John, uh, if, they, if you they toppled have. over with that, that, you can't get out from under it. Yeah, that is true. Some of them you won't. You're, you're absolutely right. They'll keep you under, them. you know. Yeah, it's just the wind catching them it tends mm. to blow them out so quickly. And then somebody, you know, the child who's in it then panics because they, they're, they're being taken away from their parents or their guardians. And that's when the panic sets in. And that's people tend to jump off them then and try and attempt to swim back in. And uh, we've actually had double drownings as a result of these floating killers. So Do you know, you know, don't bring them to the beach. There's no place on, on a beach or on a lake. No. And, you know, I, I can't stress enough the panic creates an adrenaline in your body. So a drowning person, just explain to our listeners, a drowning person has the strength of I don't know how many men. And if you go in to get that person, you are taking your life into your own hands. You really are, unless you're a trained lifesaver, you should never go in after somebody else. Because if you get it wrong and they get their hands on you, unfortunately, they're likely to drown you as well. Yeah, yeah. And it is true because they are, they're obviously, uh, I mean, um, uh, that's just what happens with a drowning person. It's a frightening thing. And that people who've been in that situation know what it's like, um, you know, to try and save somebody from drowning. But professional lifeguards and, li- and lifesavers, people who've done lifesaving, they know how to approach somebody in distress. And, 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 it's, yeah. and it's the last thing they do. John, uh, yeah. thank you so much for joining us here on The Late Lunch. Very, very valuable advice just to be safe around the water and all these tips are online. Uh, John Leach is the CEO of Irish Water. Thank you so much for joining us. The Late Lunch here on LMFM with me, Alison O'Reilly. Get in touch with us. You can email us info at lmfm.ie or text us on 086 1800 658. You know, I was just listening to the ad there for the green scene with Eddie Caffrey on Saturdays and it reminded me of my grandmother, the late Mae Jiggins from RD. She was Eddie's number one fan. And it's just, I was just listening to it there and it took me back. I kind of got lost in the ads because I was reminiscing about my granny. But uh, look, we've loads coming up on the show. We're staying with being sun smart and water safety and all the important things that you need to do during this ferocious heat. Um, a Mead TD, of course, is uh, urging everyone to be sun smart because his brother spotted that he had skin cancer when he bent down to tie his shoe at a family picnic. Um, and uh, he's on the line now, Ain to a party leader, Padder Tobin and his brother Des. You're very welcome along to the late lunch. How are you? Good. Thanks very much for having us. I believe you both sound the same now, so bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> decide who's who. Um, Padder, I'll start with you. I mean, I saw these photographs. Louise, the show producer, showed me your head the other day and I said, oh my God, it looked like you fell into a fire. But they are a bit gruesome. I wouldn't be looking at them when you're having oh. your cornflakes at the first thing in the morning. No, sure. no, no. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, about um, this, this December 12 months ago, uh, I noticed... Um, 
just a very small little mark on the top of the head. And I didn't pass any remarks uh, to it at all. Uh, and the months kind of went by and it wasn't disappearing. Um, I, it was about the size of a fingernail. And like I do a little bit of gardening in the spare time that I have. So you could scratch your head off a, a branch or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, um, and then we were in the middle of COVID. Um, so everything was, was pretty much locked down. You know, there was people were kind of being warned not to go near the doctors because the doctors were under pressure. Um, so I decided, you know, that I'd, I'd wait and see what happens. Um, and, you know, it was playing on my mind, but the months were going by. And then finally, we came out of the first lockdown and uh, I invited my brother down, um, who's a scientist, to invite him down for, for a, a meal in the garden. Um, and he basically noticed that the, the, the spot was there on the head and he gave me advice. He says, Pather, he says, you need to look at that. Um, so I, I went to the doctor then straight afterwards. He took a, a biopsy of it. Now, in fairness, the doctor was looking at it and it didn't seem that unusual and he figured that I was probably going to be fine. So he took a biopsy and about 10 days later, I got a phone call off him and uh, I got that, you know, that dreaded conversation where your mind kind of goes numb after a few sentences. Um, and I, I think he, he cops that, you know, I wasn't taking it all in and he says, listen, Pater, can I uh, speak to your wife for a second? So... I put them on to my wife and she took the details because you're basically, you're not concentrating uh, at any level uh, at that stage. Um, so kind of, we tried to get our head around it. Uh, my wife actually had melanoma herself about six years previously. Um, so we did already have an experience of that dark cloud that descends over the family uh, in, in advance. Uh, and it's a, it is a dark cloud and it, it kind of permeates every aspect uh, of your life and your family life while it's there. Um, you know, you find yourself sometimes in the three o'clock in the morning awake and you're kind of going, you know, how do I, how do I discuss this with, I have four young kids and, you know, how, how do you discuss this? Do you let them know the detail? Do you let them know anything? If you don't let them know, will they find stuff out in the, in the schoolyard, uh, et cetera? So, um, yeah, it's, uh, my four-year-old son then when he saw, I went through a number of operations and when he saw the operation, that you saw in that photograph, he says, "Die! It looks like your head's caved in." So um, I figured. I said, "That's it's caved in more than in more than one way." To be honest. Oh <laughs> my God! The pictures are shocking, Pater. Um, I'll just bring your brother in, Des, who's the director of the UCD uh, Charles Institute of Dermatology. Des, um, you spotted this, but I'm sure. Like, I mean, you see this all the time. I'm sure. Well, uh, thanks, Alison. Um, I think my particular interest is in pigment and pigmentation, skin pigmentation. And, and of course, in Ireland, we have whole palettes of different skin color, hair color, eye color. Uh, so it's a very interesting country to look at the impact of pigmentation when, and when things go wrong. But in the context of melanoma, it, 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 it's often described as the great masquerader because you, you can even have melanoma and it be uh, white or invisible with, with no pigment. So over the years, I've kind of become a little bit more adept at looking at all the different kind of shapes and sizes of lesions that that uh, could be melanoma and um, you know asymmetry uh, of the lesion uh, you know for, the, for each half is, is is not the same or or kind of a rough border or mixed colors or other kind of issues but the key one of course being uh, a changing uh, spot uh, so when I saw it first um, with Pather I kind of looked a little bit angrier than say your typical mole or a typical uh, pigmented um, lesion and for that reason I felt that um, and the size of it as well for that reason I kind of felt that we take a picture of it that day and get that through uh, to his GP. And, and how do you how did you feel when you realised that it was cancer and this time it's your brother this isn't a study you're doing this isn't somebody else this is a relative. No, you're absolutely right and you know it's the, it was the first case uh, in, in, in our family of, of, of skin cancer uh, and because he's my younger brother, you know, you kind of uh, expect that to kind of maybe come on stream, maybe at 70 and 80, particularly for outdoor workers like farmers or fishermen or whatever. Um, so it was a bit of a shock given his age. And to tell you the truth, the type of, of cancer that Pader got is very unusual at the age of, of the mid-40s. Typically, it's the mid-60s. Um, so um, to some extent, I was hoping that uh, it wouldn't turn out um, to be um, 
a melanoma because a melanoma is a little trickier than most other skin cancers. Um, but yeah, but it's, it's kind of funny as a scientist, you kind of get kind of caught up in the, in the science of it as well as the personal relationship mm. with mixed reactions. And I suppose, yeah, everybody's probably coming to you with questions, were they? Well, I mean, uh, I, I have often over the years uh, had people kind of say, oh, what do you think this is? What do you think that is? And uh, um, I mean, you know, I have to be very careful, though, because I'm not a clinical dermatologist. I have worked in the area of skin research um, for many, many years, for almost 30 years. So I've done an awful lot of reading of the research and, and obviously the, the, the the possibilities for treatment, which, by the way, for melanoma have improved, you know, quite a lot in the very recent past. For many, many years, it was, it, it really was a very difficult one to get a hold of. But there has been uh, a significant improvement in the last five to ten years, and particularly now in Ireland, there are some drugs that were just made available on the national system just in the last few months. Um, so the, the, the environment is changing. And a skin cancer is the most common cancer in Ireland, isn't it? It's the most common cancer anywhere, uh, and there are, there, there are more skin cancers there than there are for all other cancers put together. Um, and that's largely because ultraviolet light um, is an unusual beast, really. Uh, and because of the, the obviously, the, uh, the, um, the, the skin is on the outside and therefore can be very easily uh, hit by UV radiation, um, we see over time, you know, cumulative, uh, unprotected, unprotected skin uh, exposure to sun uh, will lead to sun damage eventually, and for some people, uh, that just becomes a bit more feral than the than, than the typical freckles or or moles. And and Padder, how are you now? Well, I'm not too bad. Um, I went through obviously a a biopsy. I went through an initial operation where they took about a two euro coin out uh, from the top of my head, and then um, they what they do is they test the the edges of what they excise and. I was hoping that that would be clear, but unfortunately it wasn't clear. So they had to go in for a, another another scalp of it. So and they took basically oh. the, the size of the palm of my hand uh, on the uh, the second go, and oh. so that was a they had to get a skin graft then from a tie onto that. Um, but now what they do is they they basically give me a full skin check every three months, and that will continue for the next basically five well four years now at this mm. stage. Um, and they're all, I'm also likely to probably get some level of um, screening uh, or um, scanning uh, just to make sure that it hasn't travelled. Uh, and that's the, the main worry is that it could have travelled. Uh, the deeper the lesion on, in the skin initially, um, the more it will reach down into, let's say, the blood vessels that carry you know, oxygen and, and nutrients and, and the whole lot. And if a, a cell or two, you know, Get in, gets into that system, then there's a danger that it can lodge somewhere else in the body and then start to grow again. So uh, if I can get through the next four years without that manifesting itself, um, I should be pretty much back to, uh, to, to a good place. But uh, thankfully, I, I don't have any symptoms or any uh, difficulties with it now. And to be honest now, you know, maybe after the horse is bolted, I'm, I'm wearing a hat. <laughs> but, um, but definitely, if, if I can give advice to anybody at this mm. stage, and it, like... You know, as, as Des says there, it is the most common cause of cancer. And uh, I see people, even in this heat, um, who are outdoors without a hat. And, oh, yeah. you know, I, I remember when I was a student, um, basically working in the States on the J1 back 20 years ago or more, uh, I remember I got my head shaved at the time, and the particular builder I was working for took us out to a, um, a building site in the middle of the desert, and I worked in the whole day without any shade, but I came back that night with actually blisters oh. on my head as a result of that. And I think that and, mm. you know, many other situations where you might be at a funeral or you could be outdoors finding yourself in the sun um, means that I had that kind of cumulative damage done to the skin. So, you know, what I would say to people is make sure you, you wear a hat, stay in the shade uh, and wear sunblock. It's um, because, you know, if, if it does hit... 
it can have serious repercussions uh, to your family. Oh, I know. My, my father had skin cancer and was treated for it as well. And I, you know, again, out on the ride on, cutting the grass with no hat on. I mean, just basics, you know, and he's know. very, very fair, my dad. And, and I am as well. So I, I try and be as diligent as I can. Des, can I just ask you, um, you know, for people who are worried, I mean, and they're all checking their moles now or checking their skin. I mean, what, what do you look for? It's a very good question. Um, so the, the recommendation would be that each person would check their body um, once a month. Um, and some people will be naturally more moly than others, and, and, and people will know their skin tight to begin with. They'll know if they're a, a quick burner or an easy tanner. Um, but regardless of that, you really should have a, a, a look over your entire body or use a couple of mirrors uh, for the back of your body, for example, or a partner or, or a family member. Uh, nooks and crannies need to be checked out as well. So between toes, for example, are also in, important. There are different types of melanoma as well uh, that can have um, a preference for different areas for the really sun-exposed areas or, or the remarkably uh, sun-hidden areas. So just don't assume that you can't develop melanoma on a sun-hidden, uh, on a sun-hidden area. Um, there's kind of an A, B, C, D, E, F kind of, uh, uh, kind of quick check. I mentioned A for asymmetry, B for the border, if the edges are regular or smooth, if they're jagged, that's not a great sign. Uh, color, C for color, if they're on uneven, patchy kind of mixtures of color, uh, it's not as good a sign. Uh, the diameter, you really want to, to, to be looking at the, at the overall size of it. So anything that would be bigger than, say, a half a centimeter, uh, you'd, you'd need to start looking at that more carefully. And then the E for like, evolving uh, over time. That's really the, the, the classic issue. Um, there's some very good videos that were put together by the Irish Skin Foundation, which happens to be co-located here with us in UTD, mm-hmm. our Institute of Dermatology. And they, they've released um, in this um, SunSmart uh, um, kind of uh, initiative uh, a set of videos, very easy to understand videos. Oh, very good, yeah. In association with the National Cancer um, Control Programme uh, and, and others. And that can give you a sense of you know, times of day to stay indoors or times of, of the year which are more at risk. Uh, so a lot of good information is out yeah, there. Yeah. We have a first helpline as well, the Irish Skin Foundation, if people have more urgent inquiries. But they should really go to the GP in the first instance. OK, well, look, I mean, uh, it doesn't get any clearer than that. We have a dermatologist and someone affected by um, skin cancer. And uh, if you haven't learned at your lessons or learned anything from that, it's so important to be sun smart. And all the information is online. Padder Tobin and your brother, Des, who spotted your cancer. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us here on The Late Lunch. Thank you. There's a new documentary on Britney Spears' Irish fans and it comes at a time when the pop star is fighting a conservatorship in the US which sees her father, Jamie Spears, control pretty much all of her life after the mother of two had a very public challenge with her mental health about 13 years ago. Um, The director of that documentary is Karen Morgan from LV Productions and she's on the line now. Karen, how are you? Hi, Alison. How are you? I'm, I'm so glad that this actually is on TV because I'm absolutely roasted. <laughs> I know we're all we're all coming down with it. <laughs> and, you know, we shouldn't complain. We shouldn't complain. But because, you know, it's going to be lashing shortly. Um, the fascination with Britney Spears is phenomenal. I mean, people still just are obsessed with this woman. But for people who don't understand what a conservatorship is, tell us about that. Well, Alison, she went into a probate uh, conservatorship um, back uh, 13 years ago now after her very public. I suppose it was, as you correctly said, there was just like a mental health challenge. We She's never disclosed what's actually mm. what's wrong. We, we, we don't know. So we can only kind of assume or but she um, after a very kind of she was taken into a 5150 hold, which is like she was taken into a psychiatric hospital where she was held for up to 72 hours. And after that, she her father, her family stepped in and she was um, I suppose a judge put her father in charge or a company then in charge of all her affairs. So which meant she couldn't do things like, you know, go to the shops and, and buy whatever she wanted, clothes, food. She it controls who she can go out with, meet. Um, she doesn't have a mobile phone, so people kind of can't have access to her. Um, and basically the conservatorship 
they make all those decisions for her. Now, uh, at the time, I suppose, and a lot of people will feel that she probably needed it back in 2008. So 2007 was when she shaved her hair. 2008 then, she had a couple of stints in rehab. They didn't work out. And then this conservatorship came in place. Um, it was later that year she came back to the MTV Music Awards where she scooped three um, awards and she went on the circus tour then the following year. At that stage, I suppose it should have really been looked at and said, this is a girl who actually, a woman who is able to manage. I mean, she's able to choreograph the these uh, dances to go with all these songs. She's able to go on a world tour, um, you know, was there a need for her to still to be in it? And that's when I think it was April 2019 when a podcast was got um, a tip off from a credible source. It's the only info we ever have on that, that Brittany was actually very unhappy in this right. and she wanted out of it. And up in, I suppose maybe did we forget about Brittany? The fans, well, we'll always say that we didn't, but maybe everybody else just, you know, um, because she wasn't touring anymore, maybe she just had bowed out of the public eye. But actually, no, she had a. She was trying to silently fight against this conservatorship for years. And and it's it's quite distressing the details that have come out of that court case because, as you said, nobody knew about it. And definitely at the time when she was having this terrible, terrible time in her life, those images of her shaving her hair, her breakdown with her husband, Kevin Federline, and her two babies being given to him was must have been absolutely horrific for her. And so when this conservatorship came in place, we were all thinking, that's great. That is a great move. Somebody's looking after this girl. And then we forgot. Yeah, and I think she had, um, as I said, she has been silently kind of trying to fight and get out of this for for a number of years. And and actually the first kind of Free Britney, I suppose, uh, group um, came about in 2009, actually. But it wasn't really, we didn't kind of start to hear about it more till that podcast in April 2019. And then it was only because of the documentary that came out in April that it really brought it to everybody's attention once again. And now it is absolutely everywhere. Mm. There's movements like Free Britney movements all over the world. And this is where we come in. Um, and you're making pieces of me about the Irish yes. fans. Yes. So after that um, documentary was aired, I thought, I'm a Britney fan. I really like Britney. There has to be other people out here that are Britney fans and really like Britney. And there was um, another woman I was in college with few moons ago and um she got to meet Brittany in 2009 and she no sorry 2011 and she got to dance on stage with her and she had kind of done skypes with her and has every perfume and calendar and everything and I was like okay I'm going to start with her Mm. and then once I kind of went you know I, I, I kind of found one person um I found loads and there's many um, super mega Britney fans here in Ireland. And that's being made. Totally yeah. And that, that's been made at the moment, Karen. When is it going to come out? Uh, we're still filming at the moment. Mm. So I would be hoping for the later part of the year. Um, we still have. I think when we were initially filming, we thought like we'd get as far as June 23rd was when she first appeared in court. And we never expected her to say what she did. Um we kind no, of thought maybe, no. yeah, yeah no, totally, shocking. yeah. And then it was like, actually, she's really, really, really unhappy. And it kind of changed the direction a little bit of the documentary. Mm-hmm. So um, there was obviously another um, sitting last week and she was very vocal once again. And her bizarre Instagram account now seems to actually have posts by her. So if it, um, the last couple of years, there was like her Instagram is managed by another company and the, the posts are weird. And um, mm. if you've seen them, she's kind of dancing in them. She she just her hair is, is not done. Her mm. makeup isn't done. But those things kind of make a little bit more sense now because she's been saying for the last year, actually, I didn't have access to vitamins for my hair. I couldn't go to a hairdresser. I couldn't get my nails done. My maids had my na- uh, had their nails done. So these kind of things make a little bit more sense now. Um, but w- like looking at them over the last year, I thought, my God, is she OK? What's going on? But 
um, it would seem there's a lot more to it. Absolutely, Karen. Well, I'm not going to spoil the details of this riveting documentary because I know you're working really hard on it and you have some amazing characters on it. I'm, I'm blessed to say I met her myself when she was in Dublin for the MTV Awards a long time ago. Absolutely gorgeous girl, beautiful. Um, so, Karen, hopefully you'll come back on and tell us when this uh, documentary concludes and the details of when it's coming out. Thank you very much for joining us here on The Late Lunch. No problem. Thanks, Alison. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Karen. So that's Karen Morgan from LV Productions and she's the director of a new documentary on the Irish Britney Spears fans. Um, uh, That concludes the show. That's it uh, for today. And um, I just want to thank all of our guests, all of our listeners, all our texts and callers. And of course, to the fabulous Louise Walsh, who I'll just be lost without the producer of the show uh, this week. She's amazing. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow at half past one. And we're going to leave you, of course, with a song by Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again. Yes, that's her in the hot red leather uh, outfit. And hopefully we'll see her back to those days again. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Late lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada, Dundalk and Cavan. We have the biggest range of light commercials in the Northeast with same-day business finance. So let our van specialist, Danny, find a commercial vehicle to suit your requirements. See blackstonemotors.ie. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.